Today is Friday, December 9th, 2022, and on the Xavier Newswire today, on Muskie's Talk, we'll dive into Xavier basketballs to get set for the Crosstown Shootout this weekend at UC against the UC Bearcats. We'll recap what has been for Xavier basketball in the last couple weeks, preview week 14 of the NFL, and recap the Bengals' last couple weeks as they stand at 8-4 and four in the AFC North right now. We'll also do some NLB hot stove and many more. So that's coming up next. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Hi again, everybody. I'm John Balders, joined by my co-host in the studio this afternoon, Alex Burnett. Alex? It's been a couple weeks. How you been? You ready to get this thing rolling today? It has been quite some time, John. Uh, a lot has changed in the sports world since the last time we were on here. I'm happy to recap the events. Yep, it's exciting. Xavier with their big game tomorrow afternoon as they'll take on the UC Bearcats in Fifth Third Arena when they take on them at 3 o'clock. It should be exciting. Xavier is expected only a two-point favorite in that game. I don't think it should be that close. We, when the last time we spoke to you was Xavier was getting ready for their Indiana game back on November 18th. Since then, they played five tough games. They went two and three in those five tough games. Do you want to talk about those real fast before we dive into this big matchup in the Crosstown shootout tomorrow? Sure, and starting with that Indiana game, um, it, it was one that you thought that Xavier would be able to get at home. It was unfortunate that they only ended up losing by a point to an Indiana team that has gone on to have uh, a bad loss last week to Rutgers and uh, just would have been a good win to get at home. And then going on to the Portland Thanksgiving tournament, um, it was a disappointing showing in my opinion for Xavier. You get the win against Florida on Thanksgiving, you're feeling good, then you go and drop two in a row to Duke and Gonzaga, who are obviously uh, the most elite programs in college basketball, but I think that we had them right where we wanted them, especially Gonzaga, uh, and we just weren't able to pull it out down the stretch. I do feel like going to Portland, Alex, actually improved Xavier. I know we only won one out of those three games, beating Florida, losing to Duke, losing to Gonzaga, and a game that we should have beat Gonzaga, we had them in the second half. They come back, win by 4, 88-84. And then, of course, you get West Virginia last week, who you beat with Bobby Huggins back in town 19 years after he coached UC. Uh, it's been a while since he was back in town, but just going back to that Portland tournament first, I felt like Xavier kind of figuring out their roster, solely who they want to be on the floor, and Sean Miller in his first season has been able to do that. And I know it wasn't what you wanted. You wanted to beat Duke. You wanted to beat Gonzaga. And Florida, they kind of snuck in there. And you felt like, you know, you, they were, you could have beat them by a little more. You did get the win there. But I think there's a lot of things to take promising with Xavier only with, yeah, they're 6-3. But I feel like with their three losses have been all tough games. And I feel like they're sitting in a good spot right now, kind of figuring out who they want on the death chart to be on the floor at certain times. Yeah, they're starting to finally solidify that roster. I've been really impressed with what I've seen from Soli Boom, the transfer from UTEP. Coming in and doing what he's doing is not an easy thing. It looks like he's been with the program for several years. 
He's making his free throws, playing hard defense, doing all the right things. And I think this team is just going to come in the form right in time for conference play, which is exactly what you want. Boom. And a guy that we ha- we know, we spoke about him in our first, I think, nine episodes we've done before this, who has been, you know, kind of under the radar. But the leadership of Adam Kunkel on this team is goes without saying. I mean, yes, you have Nunji and you have Freeman, and they've done big things in the front court for this team so far this season. You've seen Jerome Hunter step up in the last game against West Virginia, played down the stretch, played well. And Boom has stepped up. You transfer from UTEP, has played well. Colby Jones, the same thing. They're scorers on this team. But Kunkel doesn't always have to be that scorer. You know, you have Desmond Claude who can do that now, shoots a three ball very well. Kunkel, of course, has to shoot well and has to play well offensively and defensively. But as a leader on this team, you know, you're finding the rhythm of Sean Miller. And it's taken a little while. You know, he took the job, you know, back in March. But uh, I think, you know, you're starting to figure out who you want. And that's something good to look promising to, especially where, you know, you get UC this week in the Crosstown shootout. But after that, it's Big East regular season games through the rest of the season. So you've got to be ready to roll for that. And I think you're starting to finally figure out who Xavier is, especially with the big game tomorrow against your rival in UC. Yeah, and just going back to Adam Kunkel for a minute, I never realized how much I took him for granted until we had that little stretch at the beginning of the year where we just couldn't get it. It seemed like there was a missing leader out on the floor and him obviously missing over half of that Duke game, I believe, and then the Gonzaga game where I believe if he was out on the court, we would have handled Gonzaga uh, but having him back for the West Virginia game, you saw how much of an impact he had on the floor. Made that big three to bring us back in the first half, and he's really been playing hard, and his leadership is uh, very well known uh, throughout the program. But if you just go back, Alex, to check out these last five games, I mean, you go back to number 18, they only lose by two points to Indiana at home. A game they could have won. You only lose by seven to Duke, a game that you never led, but a game that you stuck in on the day after Thanksgiving, the day after you beat Florida. You lose 71-64, and then as we mentioned a second ago, you you lose to Gonzaga by four, 88-84 on that Sunday, where, I mean, Xavier was right in the ballgame. So it hasn't felt like to me, Alex, there were any games that we played that Xavier was really ever out of the ballgame. And, I mean, yes, there's teams like Purdue that are really – looking like the best team in the nation or blowing teams out, but the games that Xavier's played and the teams they have played, they've stuck in all these games and made it close throughout. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, you'd like to say that close wins are going to help Xavier, and I think that they will. But, I mean, when you look at the metrics that the NCAA uses for the tournament selection and the seeding and all that, they're not going to give Xavier any credit for these close losses to uh, these top teams. Which is why I think the West Virginia game was so important. They were finally able to pull out a win in a tight game and close it out down the stretch, uh, get it to double di- double digits even. Uh, and that looked like a Xavier team of the past, uh, a vintage Xavier win, something that's been lacking the last couple of years. And that was a game tied at 70. Xavier goes on with three minutes left. You're tied at 70. Xavier goes on to win it 84-74 and played well in those last three minutes. It was a great game for Soleil Boom. As I mentioned, Jerome Hunter stepped up. Kind of, They took Fremantle out for the second half, some of that second half. And Hunter came in and played very well in that power forward position. So you really promised where Xavier is right now. I mean, you said 6-3. and three, You take on a UC, 
UC team tomorrow that's also 6-3. and three. It's really the first time the Bearcats have had home court in that crosstown shootout since 2018 because the last time you played there in 2020, it was COVID. They weren't all the fans they could have for the Bearcats. But when you look at this matchup tomorrow, Alex, between UC and Xavier, what way are you, you know, swayed right now with Wes Miller, Sean Miller matchup and this team? Who do you think is going to pull this one out and which way does it go in this ball game tomorrow? Well, when you look at this matchup, uh, back in the day, it was obviously dominated by UC. But recently, uh, in the last 11 years or so, it's really gone Xavier's way in a dramatic fashion. I believe that Xavier's taken 8 of 11 in this uh, rivalry. And even in this Travis Steele era, he went uh, undefeated besides that one loss at UC his first year, I believe. Uh, So Xavier knows how to get it done. Uh, they know what it takes to win, and Sean Miller is obviously no stranger to this matchup. Wes Miller, his first year in the shootout last year, got absolutely dominated. It was never close. Uh, I expect more of the same this Saturday. I think that Xavier is the much better ball club to this point. Why do you think you think it's a coaching thing? you think it's that Xavier does the better players? Why do you sway that way saying that Xavier is superiorly the better team? Is it that the team's better or is it that the coaching's better? Yeah, I, I don't know. It's just a UC team that hasn't looked good at all this year uh, outside of the near uh, or I guess the close loss to Arizona in the Maui Gym Tournament. I mean, this is a team that lost to NKU. Um, they haven't been able to get it done offensively. They kind of remind me of a Travis Steele-Xavier team almost. They have stretches of – five, six, seven minutes where they just don't get any scoring done. Uh, defensively, they've been okay, but they just don't seem to have any athletes that can really put them over Xavier, in my opinion. And Xavier's players, uh, you got guys like Zach Fremantle, um, even Kiki Tandy, Jack Nunji, guys who have played in this game before and know what it takes to win, and I think that's lacking on UC's end. You see with a good player in David DeJulius, but I think as you mentioned, the one thing that will help Xavier in this ball game is that the depth Xavier has. And yeah. UC doesn't have that right now, and they might get there in the future with Wes Miller only in his second season with the team. But Sean was able to get back a lot of players from Travis Steele's roster last year, as we've been talking about through the offseason, end of the season right now. And that's why you've seen guys step up that we've mentioned in Hunter and Fremantle's playing well and Nunji. And you go down the line and the guards are playing well with Soleil Boom being the crucial player to this team right now, the transfer from UTEP. And I do think Xavier gets it done. I think the question is, is how much is that home court going to play? Yeah. And I don't know. I mean, it's 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 interesting to say because UC hasn't been at home in the Crosstown shootout in a long time. Yeah, you know, it's obviously going to be pretty loud there, uh, especially since their football program is kind of falling apart, and that's been their you know their excuse the last uh, four or five years, saying, "Hey, we're a football school. We don't care about this game anymore." But now I, I think they'll start to care about it a little more. Uh, we've just had their number and. I don't think that the home court advantage is going to play enough of a factor for them to get the win. Uh, I think a lot of Xavier fans will make the trip. Obviously, it's going to be a competitive environment. But that's never stopped Xavier in the past. They have the right players. And you mentioned Jerome Hunter really stepping up this year. And I wanted to take note on that, especially during the West Virginia game. There was a uh, demographic that came out showing 
uh, uh, points production on offense and defense uh, for the players that were out on the court. And Jerome Hunter, even though he didn't seem like he seemed a lot of minutes, he had plus 15 points uh, in his favor compared to negative 16 points for Zach Fremantle, who played horrific defense, uh, you know, which has been quite a trend for him. But Jerome mm-hmm, Hunter, mm-hmm. the last couple years under Travis Steele, he was just so frustrating to watch because he was just – he identified himself as a shooter and the coaching staff went along with it. But it turns out he's not a shooter. He's a good offensive rebounder, a guy who can – uh, keep the play alive, make a layup, make a off- make a point off an offensive board. He's been a good glue guy for this team, plays hard on defense, and if he can keep that up, I think that's what we're going to need to uh, have a successful run in the Big East this year. We'll dive into the NFL in a second. The Bengals are on a four-game winning streak going back to week nine. But I want to get your prediction real fast. Two things I want to talk about real fast. First, you mentioned UC football. What do you think about Luke Fickle taking the job at Wisconsin? Scott Satterfield is their new head coach coming down from Louisville to coach the Bearcats for the 2023 season. That, and then what's your prediction for the Crosstown shootout tomorrow? Well, it was certainly, you know, I I saw the Luke Fickle move coming eventually. I just would have never imagined it would have been to a school like Wisconsin, which Obviously, how's that Big Ten money? Yeah, I mean, they're a good football program. They're a good football program, but they're not exactly, like, you know, a recruiting uh, mecca. You know, it's up in the the Midwest. It's really cold. It's going to be hard to get a lot of four- or five-star guys there. Um, And at this point, you know, UC has been just as successful, if not more, the last couple years compared to Wisconsin. But obviously, you understand the move. Big salary jump for Luke Fickle. but I just didn't. and how much does he get in there? It's like seven million I think it's a year, seven point three million or something like that, compared to the f- uh, four and a half he was making here. I believe four and a half or five, which is just crazy money. Yeah, that's crazy. that's great money and good for Luke Fickle. But the most bizarre part of the whole situation, in my opinion, was the hiring of Scott Satterfield to Cincinnati. I mean, yeah. it's a guy that Louisville fans. Um, have been wanting out of their own program and then they're like oh sweet you season to come get him and pay the rest of his contract off for us and we're going to go out and get our guy from purdue that we've wanted for a long time coming back to louisville where he start, where i believe he played in college mm-hmm. um yeah it seemed like a good situation for louisville i mean i guess the uc players that were there were happy about this you know you obviously saw a lot of players decommitting because they were committed to luke fickle um, so obviously that's going to happen, but it seemed like the players were overall happy, which was a shock to me considering his success, but he's a guy who apparently knows the NIL system very well, can get players paid, um, and it's going to find success there. And we'll just have to see if his winning ways can come in to play. And I honestly am starting to wonder if this was just a hire by UC that they knew that they had to make almost a panic hire, that they're just going to keep him around for a few years, see how things go but he's more of a placeholder until a better candidate comes up. Because let's be honest, the best candidate um, besides Luke Fickle was Deion Sanders, and he's a guy who's relatively unproven. You know, he had his run at Jackson State, where they obviously succeeded tremendously. But, um, yeah, it's a very interesting situation for the football program over in Clifton. And I'm a guy from Louisville, Kentucky. I was born and raised there. My mother went to Louisville, and I could talk about this for – Days, And that's what they've been doing in Louisville on the radio stations down there and on the TV stations. And 
Louisville's football program, most, most people think when Lamar Jackson was there that Scott Satterfield was the head coach. That's incorrect. It was Bob, Bobby Petrino. And Petrino leaves. Of course, Petino gets fired for his scandals for the basketball program and the little basketball programs. Not good right now. Probably the worst they've been since in my lifetime. And you sit now and a guy that in Jeff Brom and the Brom family who went to my high school and from Louisville, Kentucky, went to Trinity High School. And you have to be happy for that. They really wanted the guy. And you get rid of Scott Satterfield and you get money for him. I mean, $3.5 million UC paid him to take his contract on that he had left at Louisville. And, I mean, if you're a if you're a Cardinal fan right now living down in Louisville, you have to be happy they had his introductional press conference yesterday when they introduced him as the head coach for Louisville football. But I can't, just as you mentioned, I can't imagine this is a good move and the move that a lot of UC diehard Bearcat football fans and basketball fans really want as their head coach for the football team over in Clifton. But let's get over now to the NFL, Alex. It has been, since we've been with you, the last time we spoke to you was on November 18th. So it's been been about three weeks or so. And as we sit here today, the Bengals are on a four-game winning streak heading into this week's game when they take on the Cleveland Browns at home. But they just come off the win against Kansas City, who they won that game by three points and a shootout with Patrick Mahomes, another great matchup with Burrow and Mahomes. The Bengals beat Carolina before their bye. Then they beat Pittsburgh in a game up in Heinz Field in Pittsburgh. And then they take the win against Tennessee, the team they knocked out of the playoffs back last year. They go down there and beat them over over Thanksgiving break on November 27th. So the Bengals sit very promising right now at 8-4. What have you liked so far you've seen in the Bengals? I mean, you can't be... This is the best time to be a Bengals fan right now. They're rolling. I mean, they truly are rolling under Joe Burrow and Zach Taylor. Yeah, they certainly are. And this just looks like such a better team than last year, especially at this point. I love how much the offense has developed over the last few weeks uh, and even compared to last year. They're no uh, longer solely relying on the deep ball uh, to get their point production. They're sustaining drive. They have one of the highest – one of the highest rankings for most sustained drives to end in a touchdown in the league, which is great because then you're just wasting game clock and not giving other teams such as the Tennessee Titans with Derrick Henry out there an opportunity to drive down the field and score. Uh, it puts other teams out of their comfort zone. And Joe Burrow has just been on, been on an absolute tear. I don't believe he's thrown uh, an interception outside of the league this mm-hmm. year, uh, outside of the AFC North. Um and he's just looking like an MVP candidate more and more by every week. I mean, you just look at it, Alex. You say to yourself, since week three when we beat the Jets, they have gone 8-10 and ten in the last 10 games. And, and that is something to be remarkable eight about. 8-10 and ten in the last 8-2. Eight well, they play, and eight and 8-2, yeah, they've only lost those two games. I mean, they won 8 out of the last 10 games. Okay, My bad. Okay. But, yes, the Bengals, I mean, they beat the Panthers 42-21. Then they beat the Steelers 37-30. Then they beat the Titans 20 2016, and they beat the Chiefs last week, 27-24. So, I mean, you're sitting right now 8-2 and two over the last 10 games. I mean, that's something to be – a team that you, you were worried, and there are a lot of people worried after those first two games. They have turned this thing around fast down at Paycor Stadium. Yeah, they really have, and all of a sudden, especially with the Lamar Jackson uh, lingering injury with his knee – 
the tide has changed from getting a wild card spot to win, now winning the AFC North to potentially going and grabbing that number one seed in the AFC where the playoffs would have to run through Cincinnati. It's happy times here in, uh, in Cincy with the uh, potential of the playoffs going through Cincinnati the entire time, which would give the Bengals a great chance to make it to the AFC Championship and potentially have a chance to take the trip out west to Phoenix in February. I think, as you mentioned a second ago, the Bengals do look like a better team than last year at this point. And they went to the Super Bowl last year. They had a great playoff run last year. They went on three games in a row to make the playoffs last year. They beat the Chiefs in the regular season last year. And they probably had maybe a little bit of better roster last year. They had Larry Obenjobi. I mean, they lost a couple pieces, but they went out and got Hayden Hurst. So it's about the same roster, but the Bengals more leadership and I had to say these these players that are young they're getting a little more experienced you're seeing this defense this back end playing better than I've ever seen them play this offensive line is finally coming together and they really have two really good running backs and P Ryan who stepped up when Mixon is out and it looks like Joe Mixon will be back this week on Sunday against the Browns yeah I mean every uh asset of the Bengals has been playing to their highest potential right now you know before this week against the Chiefs everybody was like well the Bengals secondary since uh Abuzie has gone out hasn't really Mm -hmm. had a test uh, a true test but then they go out the rookies are stepping up Cam Taylor Britt has been playing out of his mind uh you know every guy everybody is stepping up he needs to the o-line is protecting burrow he only took one sack against the chiefs last week and i believe only one or two against tennessee who he was sacked by eight or nine times in that playoff game we just look so much better than we did last year and i think that everybody is starting to realize that we're forced to be reckoned with not only in the uh, afc but in the entire nfl i guess we'd have to talk about it though the Bengals get the browns this week the browns had their number in the last couple of years. They haven't been able to beat them since 2019. Joe Burrows only beat them one time. No, he hasn't beaten them ever. He didn't beat them that first game in 2019? No. Okay, so Burrows never beat him. Yep. And beat those Browns, and the Browns win 32-13, going back to that game on October 31st on Halloween. I mean, the supposedly the Chiefs have – the Bengals have the Chiefs number, Right. And the, and the Bengals have the, the Titans number. They beat them in the playoffs last year. They beat them back on Thanksgiving break on November 27th. I went to that game in Nashville. Do you think, I guess you could say, the Browns are in the Bengals' heads and have their number? I think you could say that. Uh, you know, we haven't beaten them in a couple years. And the Browns have been amongst the worst teams in the NFL uh, in my opinion, obviously, they get Deshaun Watson back this week, which I think is actually an advantage for for us uh, because Jacoby Brissett was giving us some problems that I did not foresee happening. And obviously, the fans are going to be giving Deshaun Watson uh, a hard time for uh, his actions off the field. So I think that he's going to struggle. Obviously, remember the last time he came in to Paycor Stadium was when he was with the Texans on Thursday Night Football. And I believe it was Car- Geno Atkins, maybe, or Carlos Dunlap, who gave him that that sack that is continuously played on the Bengals' highlights. And I hope it's more of the same this Sunday. The most important thing, though, in my opinion, is to get the Browns out of Joe Burrow's head. And I, I truly do believe that there's something up there that's preventing him from playing well in this game. Uh, he, 
it seems like he makes Miles Garrett obviously is in his head a little bit because he's always bull rushing him. It seems like at an alarming rate. Even though the line's been really good this year, they can't stop Miles Garrett. He's that good. But we just got to prevent the careless interceptions against the Browns. It seems like whether they're on Burrow or not, they happen at the worst possible time. Obviously, last last time we played them on Monday Night Football, we drove right down the field. Then there was an interception off of a tip pass, tip pass, which has been one of Burrow's, um, which has plagued Burrow throughout his career, the tip pass rate. So he's going to have to play a real sharp game. We're going to have to get the running game going. And most importantly, you cannot get down early against the Browns because that is when they win. The Bengals will look at the rest of their schedule. I mean, you, you look at the schedule, you say Browns, Buccaneers, Patriots, the next three games. All games up before, thanks, before, before Christmas. Those have to be all wins, right? I mean, the Browns, they're not that good. They stink, right? I mean, besides, they beat us and might have their, our number. But if we, we should either win this game or something ter- terrible is going to happen. And it's going to happen again. It's going to be a curse, right? And then there's going to be the Buccaneers. We go down there. The Bucs aren't that good. And the Patriots. I mean, these should be three games. The Bengals should go to 11-4 and four after these next three games. Yeah, you would certainly hope so. And if that's the case, uh, obviously you just want to take it one game at a time. Then you'll be bringing Buffalo in. And yeah. that's when you start talking about that number one seed. And that'll be special times here. Bills and the Ravens after that. And... We're looking forward to this game on Sunday. We'll both be there in attendance, and the Bengals try to get to 9-4 and four on the season. Let's look at Week 14 in the National Football League. The Bengals are one of many games this weekend. As we'll take some picks right now, Alex, the Vikings and the Lions. The Vikings, they're 10-2, and two, but they're not even favored in this game against the Lions who come in at 5-7 and seven in Detroit on Sunday at 1 o'clock. I got to say I like the Vikings, but it's been interesting to see how they played some games. They, you know, they went down to Buffalo and won that game, which they, you know, they come back and it goes to overtime and it was a great ball game. They, they pulled out in cold conditions. They come back next week against the Cowboys at home and Minnesota gets steamrolled. So I don't know what to say about this Minnesota team right now. Yes, they're probably contenders, but sometimes they look like pretenders out there. Yeah, and I've been seeing it circulate around the, the web that they're the worst 10-2 and two team uh, since that Pittsburgh Steelers group, which I believe was 11-1 and one a couple years ago in that 2020 season. A lot of people are calling them frauds. I don't think they're that bad. I, you know, they got Dalvin Cook. Kirk Cousins has been solid this year. Um, obviously, they got the superstar of the league, Justin Jefferson, a solid defense. I don't see uh, them having too many problems this Sunday. Obviously, Dan Campbell's group of Lions are going to play hard at home, but they are not a perfect team themselves, and I think the more experienced team, there's a reason you're 10-2 and two, no matter who you're playing. I like the Vikings in this one. In the AFC North, the, the Steelers are at home. They'll take on the Ravens. As you mentioned, Lamar Jackson will not play in that game. Tyler Huntley will start for the Ravens. He finished that game last week. The Ravens come back to beat the Broncos at home, winning 10-9. to They go to 8-4. and I say the Ravens still pull it out. The Steelers are just so bad. But, I mean, it's going to be interesting to see how the Ravens survive without Lamar Jackson at the helm. Yeah, and we all know what happened last year when Tyler Huntley uh, took the lead uh, of the Ravens. I believe he went 1-4, and taking them out of playoff contention. 
Uh, and, you know, Lamar Jackson is their whole team, um, so it will be interesting to see how they respond this time around. Uh, it's going to take a heck of an effort by the Ravens. I'm going to actually take the Steelers in this one. Uh, Kenny Pickett's been looking a lot better the last few weeks, showing a lot of promise, and the Steelers might just uh, have another 500 here to keep Mike Tomlin's streak alive. The Jets and the Bills in Buffalo on Sunday, 1 o'clock. The Jets, they're just so up and down. I mean, it's it's hard to say Mike White's a better quarterback than Zach Wilson, for my personal opinion. They're seven and five. They take on a nine and three Buffalo team. The Bills are so good. I mean, you can't say they're gonna lose this game because the Jets might hang in there for a while. They hung in there last week when they took on Minnesota up in Minneapolis, but I still think the Bills are a, a real contender this year and a team to be reckoned with. They win at home on Sunday, for my personal opinion. Who do you like in that game? Yeah, I like Buffalo. I don't see a way in the world that uh, they lose this one at home, especially when they had one of their most disappointing games of the season on the road uh, in New York this year. Um, yeah, I think Josh Allen has a real good game this time, trying to bury those demons from earlier in the season. Giants back at home on Sunday. They played at home last week against the Commanders, and a game they desperately needed to win. They didn't lose it, though. They It was an overtime tie, 20-20 to 20 as the game ended in re- regulation. The Eagles right now are at 11-1. They're on the road in New York taking on the Giants at 1 o'clock. Eagles, I'm taking them. Blowout. It's a blowout, yeah. The, the Giants, Giants are finally coming back to form. Yeah. They're not any good. I mean. And if they sneak into the playoffs, they're going to get demolished in the, in the first mm-hmm. round unless they get a favorable matchup. I don't see it happening. Uh, Eagles blow out in this one. Saquon's a good running back, and but it's really looking like Daniel Jones is kind of slipping off, and their defense is finally allowing some big plays, and I think the Eagles take advantage of that on Sunday. One other game I want to hit on before the Bengals is the game, probably the marquee game of the weekend, the 425 game between the Buccaneers and 49ers. The 49ers lose Jimmy G last week. He's projected to be out at least eight weeks, so at least to like the divisional round of the playoffs. They sit at eight and four right now. They'll take on that six and six Buccaneers team that the Bengals will see next week. I like I gotta say I like the Buccaneers, but I'm not sold on them winning this game because I haven't seen them been able to move the ball on offense this year, and then 49ers have a good defense, but it's gonna be a struggle without Jimmy G behind quarterback for the 49ers on Sunday. I think that the 49ers are going to get it done. They have a far superior team. Obviously, Jimmy G being out does not help, but he's a system quarterback, let's be honest. Uh, And Mr. Irrelevant, Brock Purdy, was able to go out and get the job done last week against the Dolphins once Jimmy went out, uh, and they handled him easily. And I don't think the Buccaneers are nearly as good as the Dolphins, so I do like the 49ers in this one. One final game to hit on, the big one on Sunday in the jungle, the Bengals and the Browns. Do the Bengals pick up their fifth straight win and get those demons out of them against Cleveland? I think they finally do. I think Burrow's at a comfortable point where he's playing really well. He believes in himself, and I think that there's just no way he doesn't get it done this week against the Browns. If he doesn't, he's cursed, and it's just going to be that way forever. 9-4 and four look very good, a lot better than 8-5, and five. so hope the Bengals get their win on Sunday and keep it rolling for the fifth straight. Let's get over now to the hot stove, Alex. Baseball free agency started this week, and there's already been a lot of moves made. None by our team, 
the Cincinnati Reds. And there's a big reason why. Is that these free agents are making ridiculous amount of money. You already look at Xander Bogarts, who got signed by yesterday by the San Diego Padres for 11 years, $280 million. Aaron Judge for nine years, $360 million to the New York Yankees to go back there. Trey Turner, who goes to wanted to go to the to the East Coast, goes to Philadelphia for 11-year contract and $300 million. It goes on the line. I mean, you talk Josh Bell just got signed $33 million for two years with the Cleveland Guardians. I mean, where does it get to a point, Alex, where it's just too much you can't afford these guys' contracts? Well, it is what it is. You know, you see it with every sport, uh, but especially in baseball because there's no salary cap. The same teams are just able to get every single player they want, you know, the Yankees, uh, recently the Padres, even though they're a smaller market team, but they just have an owner who cares, uh, which is, you know, <laughs> well, refreshing. I mean, yeah, but, I mean, if you look at baseball, there's only only like seven or eight cities now that can attend and keep it going and, and have their fans interested in the season. And the other 20 teams, Kansas City, Tampa Bay, Cincinnati – Minnesota, I mean, these teams just can't contend with these big market clubs. And, yes, winning has something to do with that, you know, bringing your prospects up, drafting well, you know, sitting through the minor leads all the way to the major leads, and the Reds haven't been able to do that well here in Cincinnati. But at some point, I mean, you have to go out and add pieces to your, you know, to your prospects and say, this guy's going to help us here, this guy there. And when these guys are making $300 million in Trey Turner and Josh Bell, I mean, $33 million to to what? To play first base for an average guy? I mean, I, I, it's, just, it's just outrageous how much these guys are making now. Yeah, and it's, you know, it just is what it is. As, you know, and there's inflation, obviously, uh, to some of these salaries that make them higher. Uh, but also, the value of the teams has gone way up since it was a few years ago. The owners, in reality, can play these players. They're the product that fans are coming to see, and they're what makes the franchises valuable. And right now, if you have the money, why not go out and get a guy like Aaron Judge? Why not get a guy like Xander Bogarts? And you're seeing these teams lock up these guys for several years, and that's a great investment for them and their franchise. What can the Reds do? What can Major League Baseball do besides maybe a salary cap, a salary cap that helps them? Is that the only option? Is maybe putting a salary cap on how much teams have to spend every year? Yeah, I mean, I think it's going to be the solution that has to come into play at some point. Uh, baseball is the only sport without a salary cap. Um, and, you know, you see the NFL. There's small market teams like Kansas City, like Cincinnati, like Buffalo. They're able to compete. Uh, with the large markets like the Giants, uh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, and the Rams, where it, it, it makes it fun. And it's not just the same storylines every year where it's the Yankees, the Dodgers, the Astros, uh, you know, competing for that title, which is no fun. Well, we're hoping that the Reds have some fun times here in the future and hope that they can get this thing back to where it's exciting go down to the ballpark and they can get that attendance crowd back in there and the Reds can do well in the next couple years. That's going to wrap it up for this week's podcast on the Xavier Newswire. Thank you for listening again. Alex, any final comments today? 
well enjoy the crosstown shootout it's one of the most special rivalries in college basketball and go muskies for alex burnett i'm john baldridge take care you guys have a good week we'll hear from you next time